0: Thanks for downloading and listening to a Quick Timeout Out podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're in the market for a shooting machine, look no further than Dr. Dish Basketball's incredible lineup of shooting machines. Their CT, All-Star Plus, and Rebel Plus models have been bought by thousands of programs around the world, while their home model is being used by players all over the country, right in their own backyards and driveways. New to the lineup this year is the Dr. Dish facility model for those with basketball training businesses. These machines are must-have for those looking to take their shooting to the next level. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Great to have back on the show author, speaker, and coach, Alan Stein. Alan, welcome back. Oh, it's
1: so great to be with you again. I've been looking forward to this.
0: The new book is Sustain Your Game, High Performance Keys to Manage Stress, avoid stagnation and beat burnout. And for those that may not know, this is Alan's second book. If they haven't read the first book, or maybe they'd at least didn't listen to our first episode, what does this book have to do with the last book and maybe give them the gist of the first book as well? Be happy to.
1: Well, I think for proper context, I'm always writing the book that mirrors what it is that I'm going through in my own life. Uh, so in essence, I'm always writing the book that I need to be reading myself uh, I find it equal parts therapeutic and empowering to kind of write and research about the things that I'm currently struggling with. and And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from either book is that I'm not coming from a place of mastery. you know i'm I'm coming from a place of of constant growth and and trying to work towards self-actualization. Um but the things in both books uh, are things that I'm proud of the progress I've made, and i'm I'm proud of the path that I'm on but I haven't mastered any of this stuff yet. And in some areas, maybe I'm a, a couple of steps ahead from where I was and, and have found some things that I'm hoping others find helpful. Uh, but that's the main reason for writing the books. And, you know, the reason I wrote raise your game, which came out in 2019, um, was I had just made the transition from being a, a veteran basketball performance coach. And then I made the very distinct leap to be a corporate keynote speaker. And the the whole impetus behind raise your game was what do I need to do to reach optimal performance uh, to become the best that I'm capable of really in every area of my life, not just keynote speaking, but you know, how can I be the best coach? How can I be the best father to my three children? Um, so that was the reason for writing that and, and, and really raise your game is focused on the climb, you know, trying to reach that proverbial mountaintop, if you will. Um, and certainly not implying that I've reached that mountaintop. I think I'll be on the climb for, for the rest of my life. But I also started to realize even during that process that there was a a distinct difference between climbing the proverbial mountain and then being able to stay there and sustain excellence and and most importantly, sustain fulfillment. You know, nothing used to impress me more than when I would meet a basketball coach really at any level, you know, that had been coaching for 25, 30, 35 years and, and still coached with the exuberance and the enthusiasm and the optimism uh, of a brand new coach. And, and, you know, that, that fascinated me for one was, you know, how could someone be doing this for that long and still love it every bit as much, if not more, but then also how do they continue to incrementally improve and and become a better coach in year 35 than they were say in year five. So um, I wanted the same to be true uh, in, in my, you know, in my life and in, in my career as well. And, and, and as I was having these thoughts, I came to the conclusion that there were three specific areas that really undermine our ability to sustain excellence, sustain high performance, and sustain fulfillment, and that's stress, stagnation, and burnout. Uh, and those are three areas that I've absolutely been challenged by and struggled with in the past, and still to some degree, you know, do to this day. Um, but the the tools and the lessons and, and the actionable strategies I, I apply in the book. Are the things that i use in my own life and i can say unequivocally i'm much better in all three of those areas today than i have been in the past so um it, now the cool part about the books is it, you know you can read sustain your game having never read raise your game and i still believe you'll get a tremendous amount of benefit uh, you could also read them in either order uh, i was very intentional in writing them that they're not necessarily a part one and a part two uh, they're not necessarily sequential Um, obviously I'm, I'm heavily biased and would love for folks to read both. And if I had to pick, I'd say, start with raise your game and then follow it up with sustain your game, but that's definitely not a necessity. So I know that was a mouthful and a lot. I'll, I'll take a deep breath now and we can take this wherever you want to go, my friend.
0: No, that's good. and I'll be sure to link both of those down below. That way people can can check those out. Uh, you mentioned the three themes that you have for this book. Let's start with the first one there, the, the managing stress. For all of us, but especially basketball coaches, I, I think over, you know, over a, course, a course of a season or even a course of a career, you've got the ups and downs and the stressors that go along with that. How can having the right perspective about stress during those ups and downs help you through those situations?
1: Well, generally speaking, I mean, I think every successive year that goes on, society gets increasingly more stressed out, you know, when you look at some of the research and some of the studies. And I think that was just set on fire during the two-year global pandemic, where all of our lives... Every aspect of our lives were massively disrupted, and that that absolutely added to stress. So that was one of the main reasons that I wrote the book during the heart of the pandemic was was I needed it more than ever. Um, and i've had a I've had a few kind of epiphanal moments in my life, uh, a few times where where someone said something to me, and, and almost like this bolt of lightning, it changed the way that I saw the world forever. And you know, one of those is is the story I'm famous for telling about meeting Kobe Bryant for the first time, and and him talking about the importance of of the basics and the fundamentals. I mean, I I was a different man after he said that to me. But another one that happened, you know, just a couple of years ago, um, I was I was listening to an audio book of Eckhart Tolle, um, who, for lack of a better word, is a a modern day philosopher, and, and I really love his perspective and. and you know, approach to life. And he said something that, again, just hit me like a two by four right between the eyes. He said, stress is our desire for things to be different than they are in the present moment. And I let that sink for a moment. And, and I guess I kind of knew that intuitively and possibly intellectually, but I, it never really resonated with me until that moment. Stress is simply our desire for things to be different than they are in the present moment. And what I you know, immediately drew from that was that our stress is not actually caused by external circumstances. It's not caused by different situations and events. Our stress is not caused by what people say or what people do. Our stress is caused by our resistance to those things, by, by our lack of acceptance, by pushing against reality, by fighting against what is. And when I realized that, I felt really empowered, you know, because that means that I don't have to be a victim to everything that's going on in the world. I can choose to have a certain level of acceptance and that will immediately decrease my stress. Now, just so you or, or your listeners don't think I live in a fantasy land or that I've lost my marbles. I'm in no way saying that the things that happen in this world uh, are to my liking. And, and I'm not saying that everything that happens in this world is my preference. And I'm not even saying that everything that happens is inherently good. I'm saying that whatever is happening is happening and no matter how hard I resist it or fight against it or push back, it's not going to change it. Mm -hmm. So I I need to learn to have some level of acceptance, you know, fighting against reality, uh, is a fight that you will lose only 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. So when you can learn to accept what is even when it's not your preference and put all of your faculties into having a thoughtful, intentional response to what's happening, that's how you lower your stress. And and this was life-changing for me because for the first, you know, 42 some years of my life, I was in the other camp. I always felt kind of as a victim that when these things were happening and my stress went up, it was because these things are happening. Uh, and now that I've been able to reframe, um, it's drastically helped me lower my stress. And again, I, I just feel the need to keep making this disclaimer. I'm not pretending for one second uh, that I don't feel any stress in my life or that I don't occasionally revert back to that previous mentality. I'm just saying now that when I do feel stressed, I have a, a, a sense of extreme ownership that I'm the one causing the stress because I'm the one choosing to resist what is. And when you can learn to kind of let these emotions and feelings and external circumstances just kind of flow through you and just accept, it's a, it's a great step in that direction. And, and I can think of both micro and macro examples, uh, that, that coaches can look at this, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure anyone listening to this, that's coached a game of basketball has disagreed with a referee's call at some point in their life. Uh, maybe they didn't, you know, vocalize it to the degree of a Bobby Knight, but I'm sure that you thought that, that the referee should have made a different call. And, you know, that's a perfect example of, you know, first of all, you may be right. And your argument may be valid. But at the end of the day, what the referee called is what the referee called. And no matter how much you push back or resist that, it's not going to change. So you pushing back and resisting it is only going to raise your stress level, raise your anger, you know, is going to to send you going in the wrong direction. And, uh, you know, I'm sure folks listening to this can can try to, to find and play the devil's advocate or try to push back and say, well, you know, but if your team's being treated unfairly once again, you know, unfairly is completely subjective. That's your opinion. Obviously, the referee has a different opinion, but since they've been tasked with calling and officiating the game, ultimately their opinion is what matters most. And the more you can just accept that and focus on coaching your own team and pouring into your own players, the better off you'll be. And then, you know, on more of a macro level, you know, I can imagine. You know, you're you're coaching your team, and you know you've got a string of losses in a row. Maybe even games you probably should have won. Uh, you've got a player or two that's either injured or sick or academically ineligible. Like you just feel like the whole world is crashing down on you. Uh, and I know from my own coaching experience, that's an incredibly stressful situation as well. But once again, the more you push back and fight that, the more you allow that to anger you, upset you, and irritate you the more stress you'll feel. So, uh, you know, uh, that was another mouthful, but the major takeaway is we stress is a choice and we invite stress into our lives when we try to uh, push against reality.
0: I just think of the coaches that use the control, the controllables with their players and, and how that should be applied. A lot of times we should probably take our own advice. And then to your point of the implications of that, when I'm not doing that, I'm not the best version of myself because I'm not focusing on the things that will allow us to win the game, turn around the season, whatever it is. So, yeah. yeah. And,
1: and you know, with that, please know that I'm not saying any of this in judgment and, and, and and I'm not here to say anyone is right or wrong, good or bad in their behavior. You know, if any coach listening to this, uh, if you choose to push back and challenge the officials, every time you don't think a call's going your way, Hey, you do you, I'm going to still sleep fine at night. I just want to be able to offer a different perspective or a different mindset and and probably one that's more realistic. And this is what I find myself in uh, because no one is immune to that. If you do find yourself using this example, um, irritated or frustrated by the referee's call, and you do find yourself kind of going down that path, you can course correct at any time, you know, you can have the awareness to catch yourself and say, you know what, I've been barking at the official. The last couple of trips down the floor It's not getting me anywhere. So it's time to move to the next play Uh, Mm -hmm. the same way that that I would hope that you would, you know, uh, uh, coach and guide your players to doing the same thing. You know, Mm -hmm. if your player makes a turnover and misses a shot that plays over, there's nothing they can do to get it back. So let's just move to the next play. You know, Mm -hmm. if, if you make a bad pass and it gets stolen, we don't have time to dissect it and worry about it. You need to sprint back on defense and let's try to get a stop to make up for it. So, you know, I do find, you know, occasionally find myself, um, going in that wrong direction. But now I believe that I've got the the tools to be aware of when it happens. And then I can kind of course correct and put myself on a better path. And one last thing I'll say about this is, you know, I, I know that, especially when it comes to coaching, you know, that, that passion and intensity, these things are important. And I know a lot of the stuff that I'm sharing often sounds kind of woo woo, and sounds very passive and very Zen and, you know, Hey man, whatever the referee calls the referee call. I'm not saying that at all. You can still be incredibly passionate. You can be very intense, but I want you to direct that passion and intensity into things that will actually move you forward and help your team as opposed to pushing against something that will do the exact opposite of that. And, and, and all of us should be looking for ways to reduce stress in our life, not add to it. And and for me, this has kind of been the gateway to doing that.
0: A quick timeout podcast is sponsored by three on three hoops hub. If you're a basketball coach looking to grow your program, raise funds for your program, or build your basketball business, you're going to want to check out what three on three hoops hub can do for you. Three on three hoops hub has run over 350 three on three basketball leagues for thousands of kids since 1997 and is helping coaches all across country do the same. Three-on-three three basketball is the ideal format for players to get more opportunities, work on all skills and positions, and have fun playing competitive basketball with their friends. You can bring three-on-three three to your community and do it like an expert by learning from the best three-on-three three Hoops Hub free training. To find out more and get access to the training, simply click the three on com QTO link in the show notes below. The second part, avoiding stagnation. I, I think there is this unspoken assumption, even in the word sustain, that we keep doing the same things that we've we've always been doing. And while I I understand that habits are important, you've even mentioned it. And I've heard other interviews that you've done and then just following you from the past, like you're very self-aware and you, you always possess this growth mindset. How has that helped you? what's that balance between having the habits and doing the same things, but also being open to the growth and how have you seen that in your life? And then even maybe examples of those that you've worked with in the basketball world.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you went in that direction. And and that was incredibly insightful with what you just shared, because it is a mix of, there are certain, at least in in my perspective, there are certain um, habits or disciplines or routines or strategies that, that are, you know, have been proven over time. And, and some of these are, are the core pillars of my life that most likely won't change for the rest of my life. Um, I don't know that. And I, I always grip everything very loosely that I'm capable of letting go and adopting a better way of doing something. Um, so, so you have some of these kind of core principles that most likely will always be unshakable, but then you also have things that we should, I believe constantly in search of, of a better way to do it. Um, of, of something that will improve our growth or progress or rate of self-actualization. Um, for the most part, and I, and I can think of a couple times in my life where I have admittedly been stagnant. Now, I didn't recognize it at the time, um, but now with the gift of hindsight, I can look back and go, oh yeah, I totally put on the cruise control. Um, the first of those was actually as a player. Um, I had a really, really, really good summer after my junior year of high school, from a basketball standpoint, uh, we played in a, a pretty prestigious summer league here in the Washington DC area. And I played about the best basketball I had ever played in my life. And I played well personally, but our team did really well. And, you know, I, I kind of had this feeling like, okay, I've arrived. Like I, I know what I'm capable of. And I unfortunately put on the mental cruise control and thought I could just take the success of that summer before my senior year, And just ride it out through my senior year and you know uh, i can say this with a smile because i've since reconciled and forgiven myself but when i look back on my senior year of high school that final season i didn't play anywhere as close to as good as i was capable of and it was because i had stagnated um i can also think of you know fast forward almost a decade uh, a time where i had kind of ascended towards the the top of the basketball performance training space and I've, I got bit by the the stagnation bug again. You know, I, I was just kind of going through the motions. I was no longer, you know, constantly looking for new innovative exercises and, and creative programs. I was I was just kind of doing what I was doing. I was on the hedonic treadmill and I was treading water. So um, having bit been bit by that stagnation bug twice, I'm trying to do everything in my power not to let it bite me again. And that's the hard part about stagnation is... It's a tricky one because it's, it's not like you're hitting rock bottom. You know, rock bottom is usually enough to motivate someone to make a change. You're kind of just towing that line of mediocrity and, and you're, you're living by this adage of, well, good is good enough. And, you know, I don't want to just be good in my life. I want to excel. I want to be great. I want to be a great keynote speaker. I want to be a great father. I want to be a great guest on someone else's podcast. And the only way to do that is to continually level up and grow. And, and, and really, when most people talk of stagnation, they're talking about they've stagnated in their outputs. They've stagnated in their mindset. They've stagnated in their performance. They've stagnated in their results. Like what they're trying to move towards has flatlined. And I found that our outputs are directly dictated by our inputs. Our inputs being what we read, watch, and listen to. Uh, the people that we spend the most time with. Uh, the content that we consume, uh, how much self-care we're doing. And I've found that if you want to increase your outputs because it's been stagnating, then you need to increase your inputs. Uh, You need to uh, seek out new people in your life to invest time with. You need to challenge yourself with a higher level of content that you're reading, watching, and listening to. You you, You need to be open to reading, watching, and listening to things that have a different perspective than you have you know things that that might look at the world differently so that you can open and expand. So I find for me as long as I'm constantly trying to shake up my inputs, it really helps prevent me from stagnating, but it it does take an openness to doing that. You know, if there is anything right now that I'm doing in my life that someone can show me a more efficient or effective or better way to do it, I want to be open to that. I don't want to have this closed-minded approach that yeah, I I got this. I, I know what I'm doing. You know, I'm only 46 years old and I've I've lived a great life so far and I've learned some lessons and the things I'm doing at present, I'd like to believe are the most efficient and effective things that I know how to do at present. But I also expect that, you know, the 56 year old Alan and the 66 year old Alan will have brought, you know, opened himself up to so many new possibilities and ways of doing things. I don't expect to be doing everything 10 years from now that I'm doing today. I certainly hope not, because that would mean that I've most likely flatlined.
0: I think that's great for coaches. We very often do the same thing we've always done because we've gotten great results or because our coaches won their nine state championships and we were part of that team. And so that's the right way to do it. And I've even been challenged here recently about making an effort to go out and observe more practices and interact with most more coaches. Not even necessarily, I heard one coach say, like, we want to be so convinced in what we do, that what we do is the right way, but also so humble that we'll be willing to change and do things differently if there's a better way out there.
1: Oh my gosh, I love that. And and as I look back on my own life, I often lack that humility and that openness. Mm-hmm. I, I I was so staunch in my beliefs and and thinking that my beliefs were right that I was often very closed off to learning better or or more effective and efficient ways of, of doing that. I mean I had some incredibly strong convictions and I still have strong convictions to this day, but I just temper that with the humility of being open. And and some of that I think is is a normal rite of passage. You know, I, I don't think I'm the only person that was pretty hard headed as a teenager and in my 20s and even early 30s. You know, back then you you kind of think you have everything figured out. Um and now at 46, uh not only do I realize how much I didn't know back then but I readily acknowledge how much I still don't know today and, and where I derive a tremendous amount of fulfillment is, is the learning, is the pursuit. I'm excited by the fact that there are so many things that I don't know because that gives me something to to pursue and to chase and to be intrigued by and fascinated by. So yeah, that that humility piece uh, is, is crucial.
0: And the final section deals with burnout. And there is this thought, I think, that burnout is just the result of working too hard. Accurate or no?
1: Incomplete. Uh, it's not just from working too hard and it's not just from working too long or too many hours. And it's not just from making sacrifices. That is absolutely part of the equation. But the bigger piece of the equation is when those things aren't aligned with the work you're doing, if you don't find meaning in what you're doing, or you don't feel a sense of purpose in what you're doing, if you're not fascinated by what you're doing, if what you're doing is not aligned with your own core values, uh, if you don't feel that you're making a contribution to something bigger than yourself, that's when we have burnout you know it's when those things kind of splinter um because i'm I'm sure someone listening to this right now uh, maybe they're early in their coaching career and they absolutely love coaching they find so much meaning in teaching the sport that they love they find so much meaning in pouring into young people they love being a role model and and guiding and, and and being a mentor you know and they might be working 60 hours a week and they're not at risk for burnout because they still feel deeply connected to that purpose and that meaning What what can happen uh, even if you've been coaching in the game for twenty or thirty years, and even if you still love the game, it's easily it's easy to get sidetracked into losing the real why behind what you do. And and if you start to get to the point where the only thing that matters to you is winning games or hanging state championship banners or or having your players make you know the all district team, uh, that can be very short lived. You know when when we put too much value in external results and outcomes, um, that's when we're at more risk of burnout. If we can instead kind of go from within and say, yes, of course, I want to win games. Of course, I want to hang championship banners. Of course, I want these players that I love to make the all-district team. However, that's not why I do what I do. I do this because I love and respect the game of basketball. I love and respect pouring into and teaching and mentoring young people. Uh, I do this because I love being a leader and I love building teams and creating a special culture. I do this because I want to create an environment where my players will build memories they'll have with them for the rest of their lives. As long as you can stay connected to that, you're at very, very low risk of burnout.
0: One of the things for me personally, I think as a young coach, like you want to win. And part of that, again, goes to like establishing yourself and, and the credibility that you want to have to it. But then I became a father in my mid-30s, early 30s, and that kind of changed my perspective about things. And I almost was asking myself the question, like, well, what am I doing here? This doesn't actually matter. And that shift of investing in, in people, I think, is what we all end up coming to. Like, what, what what are we really doing here? And for the ones that just focus on the winning, I'm sure you've seen this, they're probably the ones that a lot of times are, are more susceptible to the burnout because that stuff doesn't matter in the long run.
1: Right. And, and, and here's the part that makes coaching so tricky. And this is why, you know, I, I was excited to come back on your show because I have so much respect and reverence and love for any coach. I mean, I- anyone that coaches, but I have a real sweet spot, uh, especially for basketball coaches and those that coach at the youth and high school level. Yeah. The problem with the current model is coaches are judged by wins and losses, yeah. Um, so, you know, now, now, thankfully, hopefully at the youth and high school level, no one is losing their job because they haven't been winning games. I would hope that at the youth and high school level, that athletic directors and and principals and people that, that are the decision makers can say, yeah, we'd like to win more games, but this coach is of high character. They are a great role model. They do things the right way. But unfortunately, if you go up a couple levels, I mean, college basketball is a billion dollar business. The NBA is a billion dollar business. If you are not winning games, you will be replaced very quickly. So it's, 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 it's really tough that what we should be using as a measurement of our own success and fulfillment and significance is, is kind of these, these purpose-driven, you know, uh, factors when we're actually judged by whether or not we win or lose. And, and that part I think makes it really challenging. I mean, you, you know, most casual fans, you know, will support you when you're winning and they'll blister you when you're losing. They're not real interested in whether or not you're a good person and you're high character and you're a good role model and you you run a clean program. You know, they just want wins and losses. So that's the hardest part, in my opinion, of the coaching uh, uh, dichotomy, if you will, is what we need to do to feel fulfilled and sustain excellence is a completely different set of metrics than what we're being judged by. Um, but You also need to be able to, and this is something I'm working towards myself, get to a point in your life where you feel confident and strong enough in self that you're not really concerned with what the outside world thinks of you, you know, that you're not doing this to pander for wins or pander for affection or adoration. You're doing things because they align with your core values and your vision and because you find intention and purpose in what you do. Um, And, and hopefully wins are a byproduct of that and you can keep going. Um, But I also have so much respect for a coach that, that, you know, when they get fired or asked to step down because they didn't win enough games, they don't let that rattle their confidence or self-belief. They said, Hey, I did the best I was capable of with what I had at this time. I am proud of everything that I have poured into this program. I'm proud of every player that has played for me. We didn't get the wins that we wanted but I stand by what we did. That to me is the essence of a a real winning coach.
0: All right. So you've done what you're doing now for about five years now. And as you've interacted with and observed leaders, top industries, a lot of different industries, a lot of different organizations, what maybe are one or two things that you've learned from that group that you wish you would have known as a coach in the basketball world?
1: It's a beautiful question and I'm trying to think nothing jumps out that I wish I would have known back then but boy do several things jump out that absolutely cement what it was that I did learn in in the basketball space and that's actually the part that that I love so much about my work is I'm so thankful that the lessons and strategies that I learned from the game and again most of my career was spent Uh, working with high school age players. I mean, Mm -hmm. yes, I had an opportunity to do some work with Nike and Jordan Brand and USA Basketball and and, and able to work with some pros. And and I reveled those opportunities and I'm very thankful for them. But most of my work was at the high school level. and, And most of what I learned were from two different high school coaches that I got a chance to work for. And I think it is so cool that two high school level coaches were able to instill in me principles that now can be used to guide a Fortune 100 company. Like those principles have so much utility that the, the the strategies they implemented on a daily basis in a high school practice can be the same framework and guardrails used uh, to run a billion dollar business. Mm. And and to me, that's what was most exciting. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've also been a big believer and, and I hope this is helpful to the coaches listening businesses have long brought in athletes and coaches to come talk to their employees, you know, for a motivational talk or, you know, talk about what you did to be so successful. Um, You know, going in that direction has been going on for decades. What I would love to see more of is coaches bringing people in from the business world Mm -hmm. to talk to their teams. You know, wherever wherever you're listening to this right now, I guarantee you there is, and it could be, and I, I say this with true affection. There could be a mom and pop business somewhere in your county or somewhere in your city or town that has been running a thriving business for years, if not decades. And I promise you, they can they can teach you guys things on communication, on accountability, on leadership, on culture. And I think it's really important uh, for folks on the athletic side to bring in folks from the business world to help cement those same things. Same thing with the armed forces. You know, both groups, both sports and business, have always brought in folks from the military to talk about leader and culture and so forth. Um, so I think anytime we can draw on lessons and experiences and principles of high utility uh, from groups outside of our direct domain, it's a it's a great thing to do.
0: Yeah. Great suggestion. We started doing that a couple of years ago and it gives you just a different perspective, but to your point, like great leadership is great leadership and you can quickly make parallels between any kind of organization and typically with sports. So yeah, that's a great, great suggestion. All right. Before I let you go, I'll, like I said, I'll be sure to link the the book and everything so they can find that there, but where can people connect with you on social and then also find out some of the other stuff that you're doing and some of the other things that you offer services that you offer.
1: Sure. So my main speaking website is allensteinjr.com. So if anybody listening to this, if you think I could add value uh, to your team or your program or your organization or club or even to your school or to your entire district, uh, I've got a variety of programs that I can deliver in person or virtual. uh, And that's allensteinjr.com. I then have a supplemental site, strongerteam.com, which has info uh, on my books, my podcast. I do some exclusive one-on-one coaching, and I also have an online course uh, and then I'm very accessible and and responsive on social media. I love talking shop with coaches. Uh, nothing warms my heart more. And that's at Allen Stein Jr. Uh, on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, so if any part of this conversation resonated or you've got a question, or even if you want to challenge something that I said, that's totally cool too. Uh, just shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm really good about getting back to folks. And then yes, if you're interested in either book, uh, raise Your Game and Sustain Your Game uh, can be found on Amazon or Audible or wherever you like to get your books and audio books and uh, always appreciate the support. But most importantly, um, I just want to give back to the coaching community. You know, the game of basketball uh, and so many coaches have been so good to me, important to me and supported me that anytime I can give back and offer something of value uh, to the sport I love and to the community I love, which is coaches, it's always my honor to do it.
0: That's Alan Stein. And again, the book is Sustain Your Game, High Performance, Keys to Manage Stress, Avoid Stagnation, and Beat Burnout. Alan, really appreciate you taking the time for us today.
1: Always my pleasure. Thank you.